there's so many things today that triggered stuff in my head. And, and that's where those connections are, to me, are worth talking about. Thank you for joining us for Effective Heart Change. The podcast will discuss how to apply faith principles to real-life situations. Well, it is good to be here with Effective Heart Change in the Let It Go series. And today we are talking about enemy number one. Public enemy number well, one? Well, the public enemy number one, the, actually the number one enemy of forgiveness is not the other guy. Ah, so Everyone, it's a personal enemy number one. Yeah, it's 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 number one. Yeah, it's oh, it's, it's we can get me, rid- myself, and I. I am the enemy. I am the enemy. Interesting. There are human tendencies that fight against us forgiving, and let's just start with one that's a little bit farther down the road. We'll talk about in more detail, but just think about this. When someone has wounded us, we feel like they owe us, so we instinctively make it about the other person before we've even hardly started, when we really kind of need to start with ourselves. Interesting that we, we do that, because, uh, but I see the point. We, we take it personally. I mean, you've offended me. Why do you know? How dare you? And and so that is the initial reaction. And I'm guessing we're going to have to do a little training to get out of that that idea. It will, and 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 it's difficult because we believe that the other person wounded us. The other person owes us. So we believe that the way for this thing to get better is for the other person to change their behavior. But think about that for just a little bit. That leaves us completely at the mercy of the other person's response. Do you really want your life lived at that level of bondage? If someone can, has the ability to hurt you, uh, harm you, do you want them to be in charge? And do you want them to continue to have that ability to hurt you or to harm you? So forgiveness to be healthy has to be done in a way that my getting free isn't dependent on your response. So how do we do that? We start with tendency number one, and we talked about enemy number one is number one. My number one tendency is to believe that I am capable of handling myself and caring for myself And one of the ways that I do that, at least I believe this is all an instinctive thing that goes on inside of us, if I pay close attention to the pain, who has hurt me, how they have hurt me, and I'm detailing all of that, and I'm studying all of that, and I'm really on top of it, if I become a student of all of that pain, then I can predict future stuff, and I can see stuff, and then I'll be in better control of my life. So this sounds like uh, it's, it's going to be a process that you get to the point. Uh, just, just being aware of the hurt and that someone else has hurt you 
is just the jumping off point because you're going to have to go somewhere with it. And the choice is throw it all at them or recognize that there's some, uh, uh, something going deeper that you're going to have to do. Control was one of the words you used in there. And, and learning to control yourself uh, is like I, I'm, I'm learning to shoot a basketball. I have to have an idea of what I'm doing. The, my first idea is it, when it goes in, I'm shooting well and anything like that. But the reality is uh, there's multiple things in it. And we're not going to start by being step back, listen, be calm, don't take it personal. Uh, those are advanced uh, that's an advanced evidence that, that you're actually in the process of doing it. But initially, what's the step? Let me start with a phrase, whatever has your attention has your heart. Say it again. Whatever has your attention has your heart. I talked about in the last program the idea that your focus determines your future. Wherever I have intense focus, intense focus is a form of worship. And so my focus is going to literally create me. It's going to shape me. It's going to guide me. It's going to direct me. Well, when there's pain, what do we focus on? We focus on the pain. We focus on the other person or we focus on our pain. We focus on our woundedness. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That becomes a future directive because once I'm focused on pain and I'm trying to prevent future pain, now I'm interacting with you in a way that's tense and uptight and all of these different things to try to prevent that. Or I'm maybe going into a control. Again, different people respond different ways. But all of those virtually guarantee that my next interaction with you is not going to go well. It's going to be hostile. And then what you're seeing is what you're getting. Uh, that sounds pretty elementary, but, but I don't think we think like that. I think we, we, we're reactionary more than we are thoughtful. And in the process, uh, we... In the process, we put what we think we're seeing on that person, whether it's there or not. And, and we're more apt to take it in a negative sense than ever in the positive. To put it as simply as I can, the number one enemy in working towards the forgiveness process is my belief that I can manage and control this stuff and this instinctive thing that's going on inside of me once that happens and that kicks in, all of these unnatural responses are happening, which again affects the relationship, which makes it more likely that this is all going to break down. Then I miss the most important response. And the most important response, frankly, is for me to be able to depend on the grace of God. If I can't look to God, if I can't receive grace from God, now all I have is number one. And I instinctively know that if all I have is me and I'm trying to manage this thing, it's going to get real awkward real quick. No, it's interesting because it, uh, 
I'm glad you added God because it sounded impossible before. Well, it it, it was impossible before. <laughs> and I I hope that the 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 viewer gets that exact impression because uh, what we're saying is you're out of control, but you got to learn to control. Well, how do I do that on my own? I'm I'm pretty pitiful at that, and and uh, so without God in the picture. This is kind of a hopeless place. If you look at the gospel, which is the good news, the good news actually starts with bad news, and the bad news is that we're sold into slavery to sin. Every time I sin, and frankly, it's not just sin. This is all behavior. Every time I do a behavior, I'm more likely to repeat that behavior again. We get good at it. Exactly, and usually to a greater and greater degree. So whether it's sin or not sin, every time I do something, I'm more likely to repeat it again. So if I'm interacting with you in a fearful way, in an angry way, or you're interacting with me in ways that are painful, the odds of that happening again are high, and whatever has your attention has your heart. The more I focus on it, the worse it gets. Now, the way that I overcome that is to draw strength from the outside. I've got to be drinking in life. I've got to be pulling in something from the outside. If I'm not pulling in something from the outside, I have this closed system and the law of sin and death, which is you do this sin and you're going to repeat it and you're going to do it more and more so, just continues to take over and I have no hope. Now, here's part of what people need to understand because people are like, well, I've grown, I've gotten better, etc. I call it reflected light, and we've talked about this before in programs. Again, say again, because... Reflected light. Okay. Just because someone doesn't believe in God doesn't mean they haven't received from someone or from God somewhere along the line. The moon is reflected light. It's not direct light. It doesn't have its own light. But the goodness of God, the life of God has been poured out from the beginning on this person, that person. And then that person has that light and they pour it out into the next generation and the next generation. And so somewhere along the line, I'm able to interact with people in relationship in a way that I draw strength from the outside. And that strength helps me overcome these situations where I've got pain here and suddenly I'm able to summon the strength to overcome that and walk in a better way. Just to be clear on one thing that you said, it pours in the the spirit of God. It pours into this person, that person. It isn't just one here, one there. It's everyone. It's everywhere all the and, time. And and I think that that is one of the thinking problems we have when we think about God is that we think some people have God and and the rest of us are just out here doing whatever. I really subscribe to the idea in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Anytime a person is walking in genuine humility, there is an attraction to the presence of God. There's a, an attraction to the strengthening of God. Now, that doesn't mean they're saved. That doesn't mean they're, they're going where they need to go. But it means that the Holy Spirit is right there wooing, drawing, saying, hey, get a hold of this. And in fact, in Hebrews 6, I interpret that with the idea that the Holy Spirit is there pouring out a tasting, pouring out a testing on people who haven't necessarily 
made the, quote, decision for Christ yet. It's interesting to me because we get all of God. Uh, when we were created, uh, he created us. And, and, and God isn't a, a, a divided God. It's three in one. But we tend to, we tend to think along the lines that it's here a little bit, there a little bit. And, and I know that our participation in it is, is a part of what we actually receive. But what is available is all of God. And, and I think we, we minimize that to the detriment of, of every individual. Paul's words. In him we live and move and have our being. And he's talking to the Greeks at that point who are have an inscription to the unknown God yeah. and, and et cetera. We are sustained to a much greater degree by the grace of God than we understand, even if we're not directly interacting with it and walking in and it. And when we have those moments of control in the midst of our normal out of control, riotous, chaotic living, uh, those are moments of a touch of God, of His presence, and it's evidence of His presence. And I, I dare say that if we become more aware of those touches, uh, we'll be more able to give those touches to others. We're going to take a moment. We've dealt with a lot of deep concepts. I want to say just a quick point here for those who are only podcast listeners. On the YouTube channel, there's questions that are displayed during this period of time to help sort out some of the information that we're doing here. Those who are listeners get just a break. So you can join us on YouTube at Live Free Men. That's M-I-N, short for ministry, Live Free Men on YouTube. If you want to pick up the questions, we'll take a break and we'll be back in a moment. We're talking today about enemy number one in forgiveness. And That's me. That is me. Enemy number one is good old number one. Yeah. And what I bring to the picture absolutely shuts down any chance I have of reconciling with, with another person. And sometimes I'm not even aware of what's going on inside of me. <laughs> ready, shoot, fire. Ready, aim, shoot. What is it, you know? Any of those kinds of things. Yeah. We get ahead of ourselves. We're... We're, it's all about us, and and we don't. Uh, many times we don't even consider what the other person is saying. We're just offended by it. We're hurt by it. We're harmed by it. Let me give a one word answer to much of the trouble, and it's the simple word anxiety. Hmm. And many times there's unexplained anxiety in relationship. We're we're in this situation where it's like, I don't know why, but I'm just uptight and. Maybe it's even a very simple forgiveness that should be routine and should be nothing. And I mean, it should be just something that, hey, I know that you didn't know about, and so is a little bit of a little bit of a mistake in there, and let's just get it cleaned up. But I'm just all uptight, and because I'm so uptight, I literally can't talk to you, or if I talk to you, I mess it all up. 
Have you ever been a part of that kind of a picture? (laughs) Only daily. Only daily, okay. (laughs) What you're talking about, there's history sometimes. You have a history with a person. You have you have experience with it. you have expectation of what they're going to give you, and and if they've been critical before, they may be critical all the time because, but it may be feeding off of what you're doing in 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 return. Uh, other things uh, where they're at in their day, uh, they may have just come from. Uh, this happened to me just the other day. I I was coming from one situation going into another one. And so the perception that I had of the new situation was, was uh, this, is, this is just more of the same, you know. And so I had an attitude about it. I copped an attitude, and that changed the whole conversation with the next person. Let me take a deep dive for just a moment because of how I believe this works. And a lot of this is explained in the Dead Dogs book and other resources that are available. But the idea is that we, as human beings, we store things spiritually. So let's just take the word resentment. I've got a situation where resentment bubbled up, and then I have another situation later on where resentment bubbles up. We tend to store things spiritually, so next thing you know, resentments are all kind of stored in the same area. And all of a sudden, I, when I'm dealing with you, if resentment bubbles up, I'm no longer just dealing with you. I'm dealing with a whole mess of resentments, and that's one of the ways that we function spiritually. Now, let me translate that to anxiety. I believe that much of the spiritual formation that goes on in us actually happens pre-memory. So let's just say in the womb, Uh, My mother or my mom and dad, where there was a lot of anxiety, there was a lot of turmoil, a lot of fear, a lot of stress, what's already being laid down in me spiritually is anxiety on top of anxiety on top of anxiety, which means that my anxiety is going to be very easily triggered in situation after situation. Uh, I believe it or not, I uh, majored in. A physical education, but that includes a lot of anatomy and physiology. And one of the, my favorite terms, terms in anatomy was vital capacity. What you're talking about is we have a capacity, uh, and, and I think there's a limit to it somewhere uh, where you either self-destruct or you get it to a point where you recognize it and are able to uh, eliminate some of the existing stuff uh, and have other replace it. That terminology speaks to me because uh, what we contain, uh, there's, only, uh, there's a limit to how much can go in there. And what you've described uh, is something that really I don't think many people would ever even think about. That, that what we have going into us even before we're born uh, and in the very early years is, is, is part of that vital capacity. In fact, it's a major part according to the ideas that, uh, that in the first three to five years, we get a major part of what's involved in us 
uh, mentally and spiritually, it's beyond my, my knowledge, but, but vital capacity speaks to it, I think. We have, I believe, spiritual recorders. I mean, of course, modern science puts it all in the brain and neurons and, you know, different reactions at that level. But we're spiritual beings with these recordings going on, and I absolutely agree, and, and science, I think, would validate this, that during those early years, it's just like download, 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 download. And then somewhere along the line, it becomes more and more selective, number one, because you don't have unlimited capacity. So you have the, your language that you just brought up, vital capacity is becoming to be diminished. I don't have a lot of new stuff, so I've either got to delete some old stuff mm -hmm. or I become more selective and I see the new experiences from inside of the downloading that's already there. That translates perfectly to what I'm talking about here, because now when I approach you, if I've already have these anxiety downloads, I'm approaching you with a level of anxiety. And especially add to that, if we have a history on top of that, I have a history of anxiety, we have a history of pain and woundedness. It's doubled down at that point. What are the chances that I'm going to be able to walk through a forgiveness process with you in any kind of successful manner? So then at some point, I lose faith in the forgiveness process. I'm like, no, why should I even bother? It's just going to blow up. It's going to end badly. Why should I try to do forgiveness? You're not worth it. That's You're basic. not worth it. And, and as, that's a self-judgment too, but the interesting thing, you made the point that, that there's a spiritual inflow before you're even born. I, I think that that's, we need to highlight that. You're spiritual before you're ever the human being. Until you, it's before you have a physical presence, you have a spiritual, spiritual presence. I believe we as human beings are God-breathed, and that God-breathed, the Bible talks about God breathes the Spirit in. And on the last day, the spirit is taken out. And when the spirit is taken out, breath ceases. And there is a very clear language there about our spiritual part and, and its existence. And there is a shaping that is going on all the time, literally from in the womb onward, that actually does a better job of explaining character than anything that science can come up with. So if you understand that, and then I go through this period of time where it's anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Now I'm operating with you from a standpoint of all of this internal stuff. And I'm trying to intellectually and rationally process this thing. And it's almost impossible at that intellectual, rational level to process in a way that's going to overcome all of the spiritual stuff that's been written on the inside. It's above our pay grade. It is above our pay grade. It's really, we, we like to think we're in control, but the reality is uh, occasionally. Many times, I, 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 do a, I do a lot of mediation. I, I do a lot of working with broken people situations where there's aggravations and frustrations. And it's interesting that one of the things that happens if there is trust 
and I'm a trusted mediator, I'm a trusted person to step into the situation, then they will draw strength. We've already used that language. They will draw strength from me. They will take cues from me. There will be a connection. So I have two people that are very angry at each other, and neither of them are willing to talk, and they're not willing to move one single inch. Well, if I have the quality of relationship and the power of relationship where they're taking clues and and they're drawing strength, next thing you know, both of them begin to settle down and they get to a point of peace and the anxiety lessens. And once that anxiety lessens, all of a sudden we're able to talk and we're able to talk it through. But most people don't understand the spiritual dynamic. They don't understand the trust factor. They don't understand the connection and the drinking in factor. So they're saying, wow, you're an incredible negotiator. How did you think through all of that? And the answer is I didn't. I showed up and I maintained the peace of God and I tried to get the two of them to drink in from that peace of God and get to a different place, get to a different level. And once they began to take cues from that peace of God, all of a sudden they pretty much worked it out on their own. There you go. Mediator, it's an interesting word. For me, in between, it describes that. And what you've done as a mediator is come in between two individuals that are stuck on being all them. And, and, and you've given a glimpse that there are other ways of seeing it. We need that. And, and the great mediator is Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and, and so when we're connected with him and his presence is, is more real, uh, we have an, a built-in in a mediator. One of the things we're meant to do is to take the part of Jesus when we are in the midst, in between uh, friends or even people that we uh, work with, uh, if we act the part of mediator and listen to both. It's given value to both. It's not saying, you're all wrong, you're all wrong, or you're wrong and you're right. It's, it's just opening up the process so they can get a different look. Actually, the best approach is some form of validation so that we can, of both parties, yeah. so that we can decrease the anxiety because enemy number one is number one. If I come in with anxiety, even if it's unexplained anxiety, even if it has nothing to do with the situation, it may go back to my childhood. It may go back to that gut instinct. Enemy number one is I trust number one. So when that anxiety is going on inside of me, I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to hear what you have to say. I'm not going to move towards forgiveness. And all of a sudden, I've got this situation blowing up and nobody knows why. And part of the reason is number one. And it's just the basic spiritual condition of what's inside of me. And it doesn't really have anything significant to do with the situation. I'm reminded of an early lesson I got, and I don't remember who gave that to me, but it's been one of the best I've ever had, is when we're in the process of talking with someone, that we find something positive to say about them before we ever delve into anything that we might have to say that might come across as negative. And in that process, uh, you've, you've uh, disarmed a little bit, and and particularly if you're in a mediator situation, this is what I thought you were saying there. Uh, it it disarms to a point where there may be uh, an opening, 
two things. Validation. I am for you. You talked about praise fitting in that category. Sometimes I, I'm in situations, I've sat on the other side of this as a pastor of, pastor, I love you, but, you know, and, <laughs> and I want to just punch him out and say, don't give me the I love you here at this point. Just, just give me the real stuff. So there's a point at which those kinds of things actually are used in a hollow way, and they actually yeah. make it almost more offensive. But if I genuinely see you, I genuinely validate you, I'm genuinely for you, and I can communicate that, hopefully that lowers the anxiety level. If we lower the anxiety level, all of a sudden we're able to interact in a way that, wow, it's not so hard to work out our differences anymore. And again, we, have, we haven't even started talking about the differences yet. We're talking about number one. We want to take a moment and just review where we've been. And then we'll continue. One of the greatest number one issues is that whole idea of confidence in me, confidence in the flesh. I'm actually working on a different piece today, which is interesting, but it ties into the same area. People who struggle forgiving themselves, much of that is because they believe that they should have the power to do better. Again, it comes back to confidence in me. So when I'm interacting with you in forgiveness, instead of understanding the grace of God piece that we've talked about and and how I need to bring all of these other outside strengths in, and I need to be in a receiving, and if I've got anxiety, I, I need people, I need things to kind of settle that down before I can actually work with it. I don't understand any of that. And so my instinct is I'm going to jump in and take control, or my instinct is I'm going to run. And and the confidence in flesh tends to take on whatever your greatest strength is or your greatest tendency is. We're pretty good at projecting, it sounds like to me. And, and when we are feeling insufficient, unable uh, to cure our own problems, uh, a couple of ways we can deal with it is blame it on someone else or project uh, our shortcomings onto them, and uh, we're going nowhere with that. So what tends to happen in this area, whatever your strength is, whatever your gift is, there are some people who are confronters. I'm going to confront the truth. I'm going and so the way that I try to do forgiveness is completely inside of that image, and it's completely energized by the flesh. This is a key point. There is something called spiritual animation, and that spiritual animation, every word that we speak is animated by a spiritual tone. If that spiritual tone is, I believe in me, so I'm going to take control of this situation, or let's flip it. I don't believe in me. I'm, I'm shy. I'm, I'm passive. I'm, you know, whatever language you want to put. So I'm going to escape this. I'm going to run from it. I'm absolutely not going to talk to you or talk truth to you. All of these are manifestations of I believe in me, even if it's the weak side that appears to, I don't believe in me, it's still, 
no, I'm an avoidance person, so I'm going to deal with this through avoidance. So you use the word animation, interesting word. Uh, in my understanding, it means to give life. And, and, and so in the way we uh, project ourselves, uh, we are giving life to what we are actually feeling. Uh, I hesitate to say it's what we are because I believe what God made us to be is what we are. But we, we decide this is who I am, and if I'm getting hurt, I'm, I'm going to defend. And, and so uh, in that case, what I speak would be deanimation. De it would be taking away life instead of putting life into it. And isn't that interesting that Jesus came to give eternal life? That, that we have that, that inner presence, spirit, that's speaking to us about living life to the fullest. And, and so the idea of animation and what we speak has that possibility uh, is something that I'm going to be looking for more all the time now. If you go back to what I talked about in the last segment, where I often am a mediator, and I talked about the mediation frequently has very little to do with getting them to restore or, you know, figure it out or argue it out. I mean, that's all at a human level. If I can come in as a validator, if I can come in and bring peace, and if I change the spiritual animation, many times the situation will work itself out without hardly even a word, without hardly even any suggestions, because spiritual animation is that powerful. And so when I'm connecting with life, when I'm connecting with the presence of God, and I have that eternal life, actually the best definition of eternal life is not that forever word that we use, it's the forever quality of life. I have that animation of the peace of God. I have that animation of the joy of God. I have that animation of the love of God. If I'm bringing that into an argument, if I'm bringing that into a difference, a woundedness, what are the odds it's going to resolve? The answer is pretty doggone high. Yeah. It's speaking life, and that's animating. That's animation. That's speaking life into the situation. And, and that can only be a positive, uh, no matter how it's taken, I think. The contrast to that is faith and self. And frankly, as a culture, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, oh, yeah. the rugged individualist, etc. American way. The American way many times is faith in self and faith in human effort. And the whole positive speaking, positive thinking movements largely are infused with faith in self. Now, again, if you're going to be positive or negative, let's be positive. I, yeah. I'm not against being positive. That's good. But there's a positivity that is infused with the presence of God and a faith in God, and that's going to be the next program. But there's a positivity that's infused with the faith in God, and there's a positivity that is actually infused from faith in self of, well, I've got this. I can handle this. If I have a difference going on between me and another person, and I'm bringing that self-animation, I'll virtually guarantee you the odds of that thing working out are virtually zero. You might climb the ladder to success and then find out you climbed the wrong ladder. 
Well, it's enthused, uh, infused. It's all a process, and, and it's going one way or the other. That's the reality of this, is that we're, we're sowing seeds, and, and, and some to the good and some that aren't. That self-energy virtually forces one of two outcomes. Either I'm going to lord it over you, or you're going to lord it over me. And if we can work it out in that way, where I decide to be the one under, the one down, or the one up position, and, and we're walking through that, that self-energy virtually forces that kind of a thing. And a lot of times in a business world or a setting, and I'm getting a paycheck and et cetera, and it's, you know, let's just have order, let's just have structure. A lot of times at a practical level, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Do your job, get your job done, go through it, et cetera. But if I'm building relationship and the kind of relationship that's going to validate, the kind of relationship that's going to make you feel more human in the positive sense of, of being the person who God created you to be, if I'm going to do that, that's not that human energy where I come in and it's a power struggle between you and I, because the way God has designed it is we all have a fit. We all have a place, and I should validate your place in this disagreement, this difference, and you should validate mine. And when we start to fit this thing together the way God wants it to fit together, whoa, it actually works. Amazing, isn't it? It really is. And that's, that's the key. What are we back to again? When I'm full of me, when I'm full of self, when my animation is self-energy, we end up staying divided even if we quote-unquote figure it out. I create your lane and my lane, and we agree to those lanes, and so we're going to stay in those lanes, and we're going to minimize conflict. That's not unity. That's not connection. That's not the will of God, but many times that's the way we do forgiveness. We try to create the kind of clean boundaries where we minimize conflict and we sort of work the same way. You know, we're, we're kind of going together in a direction. That's not the will of God. The will of God is for you to be connected to him, me to be connected to him. And when we're both connected to him, we're connected to one another in a powerful way that I add life to you and you add life to me. As it should be. As it should be. Let's defeat enemy number one, which is self, and begin to look towards God and do forgiveness God's way. Amen. Production, editing, and audio by Matthew. Set design and setup by Ashley. Content recorded live at Studio 104. Well, today we are talking about enemy number one. I've got to be me. <laughs> Are you? Are, are, are we gonna have no, a drama not. performance no, today? Or no, 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 that, that was just, as, that, yeah. that was just your breakout moment. Yeah. Huh? Well, uh, that's that's what it, we're, we're all about. Me, I mean, that's what we're saying.